Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama students and teachers. I'm Nick Waxman, here with my knowledgeable co-host, Elia Rez. Today's topic, musical theatre. Musical theatre? Yep. But music and theatre have been linked since Indigenous Australian theatre, thousands and thousands of years ago. Yep. In ten minutes? Yep. Okay, let's do it. Before we begin, let's define musical theatre. Musicals are different to plays with music or to dramatic theatre. It combines song, spoken dialogue and dance to tell a story. They are fundamental elements to the storytelling. Musical theatre is often quite stylistic and can use a variety of theatrical techniques, such as elements of physical theatre and ensemble acting. There is even a verbatim musical created using actual words spoken by real people, and their inflections are used as inspiration for the melodies. Okay, Smarty, so what's the difference between a musical and an opera? Well, opera and musical theatre do cross over, so they can be very alike. There are some operas that have been adapted into musicals. Madame Butterfly, an opera by Puccini, becomes Miss Saigon, and the opera La Boheme, also by Puccini, becomes Rent. They are often updated and changed, but the similarities are there to be seen. Opera is usually all sung, with no spoken dialogue. In musical theatre, often the songs are extensions of events, or the inner thoughts of characters. Songs or dances provide additional insight into how people are feeling, or give a variety of opinions of an issue or theme. Dancing and song are often used, but spoken word is used in song during dances and in scenes to further the plot. But Nick, there has always been songs and dances in theatre. Yep, ancient Greek theatre, indigenous theatre, Elizabethan theatre and even ritual and chants have used music and choreography to further their point or enhance the mood. Elizabethan plays used musical sections called masks. Yeah, masks were often interludes in a play presented by actors in masks singing and dancing. But that is different from musical theatre. Masks weren't important parts of the play. Remove the masks and the play still makes sense. Um, That's just not the same for musicals. The dances and the stories are vital. In Romeo and Juliet, as well as A Midsummer Night's Dream, they have mask sections, but they don't really matter to the overall plot. So masks were also popular in their own right, being presented as entertainment for the nobility. Now you've got it! Uh, Well, to understand the present, we have to look into the past. There are two kinds of early musical theatre. In 18th century Britain, that's the 1700s, comic operas and ballad operas were really popular. Both used original music or adapted popular melodies, and they were based on well-known stories or parodies of classical works and other operas. By the 1800s, music hall became popular. It was a mixture of skits, comic songs and vaudeville. Music hall used lewd humour, comedy and satire. It was designed to be a popular form of entertainment for the working class. Think Saturday Night Live. The upper classes preferred the sophisticated humour of musical comedies. They told a story and the content was more PG. They were also costumed elaborately with lavish sets. Think Gilbert and Sullivan. As time goes on, book musicals become more popular. This is a musical where the script, or the book, tells a more sophisticated and emotionally dynamic story. This development can be exemplified through Cole Porter's Anything Goes or Kiss Me Kate, or even Irving Berlin's Annie Get Your Gun, or George and Ira Gershwin's Crazy For You and Strike Up The Band. For the very first fully integrated musical play, look no further than Rodgers and Hammerstein's Oklahoma! It uses song and dance to develop the characters and the plot. After Oklahoma, the musical would change forever. 
Florence Ziegfeld had made Dance a Spectacle, Cole Porter had made Songs Impossible to Resist, and Gershwin won a Pulitzer Prize for Of Thee I Sing, making musicals legitimate. Oklahoma brought it all together. Now we get a swathe of famous directors, stars and composers bringing musicals to life. Huge names erupt. Bob Fosse, Ethel Merman, Leonard Bernstein and Jerome Robbins to name a few. All were bred on this advancement in musical theatre. A hit on Broadway would be a hit song on the radio. But this wasn't to last forever. Hair came and mixed it up again with its rock anthems and social messages. This was an exciting development in musical theatre. Stephen Sondheim then introduced the concept musical. Shows built around an idea rather than a traditional plot. Soon rock musicals were being ignored in favour of these psychological musicals. Now it's time for the mega musicals and their rivals. Andrew Lloyd Webber versus, well, everyone else. Commercialised pieces came up against gritty, serious works. Cats versus Sweeney Todd. But it was no competition. Webber rules Broadway in the West End. Sonham may be the better lyricist and composer, but you can't argue with people's taste. West End? Broadway? Uh, yes, uh, Broadway is in New York. It's a strip of theatres, shops and restaurants that has been home to musicals in America. The West End is the same, but it's in London, England. These two places are where musicals come to live or die. Mega musicals are very popular with Miss Saigon, Les Miserables, Cats and Phantom of the Opera still running around the world today. Lots of marketing. Now musicals had to go big or go home. It's the 1990s, and if you didn't have big money behind you, you were in big trouble. <laughs> Disney's The Lion King, and even smaller shows such as Rent, had a large-scale corporate backing. People were still flocking to the theatre to see musicals, but now we have a large range of sub-genres, such as the jukebox musicals, with musicals like Mamma Mia, or uh, Priscilla, or We Will Rock You or uh, biographical musicals such as Jersey Boys or The Boy From Oz, or musicals based on movies like Footloose, Shrek or Legally Blonde, and even nostalgia musicals with shows like Wicked. Still, smaller musicals thrive, such as Urinetown or The Last Five Years, which are small off-Broadway hits that become worldwide sensations. Now we see a widespread of musicals hitting theatres. Three recent hits, Matilda... Hamilton and the Book of Mormon could not be more different from one another. A musical also needs a creative team, just like a play. But here we also need a musical director, who is in charge of the music, and a choreographer, who is in charge of arranging the dances. Not all musicals need uh, uh, expensive sets and costumes. The songs do all the hard work for you in a good musical. Although this is not true for all musicals, the style of acting is usually different to most dramatic theatre. The audience is often spoken or sung directly to, and they are also acknowledged through humour and aside. The audience is often let in on secrets and told truths that will come out later. A clear example of this interaction is the new Rocky Horror Show. Audiences are now encouraged to throw rice and call out during specific times of the show. There is a version of this available to watch online, but beware, there is some adult content throughout and no bleeps. Acting is often also broader and stylized in musical theatre to fit the non-naturalistic convention of breaking into song and dance, but this is not always the case. As they say, when the emotion becomes too strong for speech, you sing, and when it becomes too strong for song, you dance. 
Well, that's all that we have time for on the aside. Thanks to Aaron Searle for the, providing the music and Eltham College for letting us record here. There's a range of episodes in the bank, so feel free to listen to one that grabs your attention. Do not hesitate to email us at asidepodcast at outlook.com. Send us a question so we can answer it in another podcast. And thanks for listening. 